episode two of the Glass and Joe podcast. I am PJ, PJ Glass, or don't even know my own name, Joan, <laughs> joined by my good friend, Joe Malfa. Joe, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, it's, it's starting to kind of go by quicker, this whole quarantine thing. I remember everybody was like, March felt like it was 63 days long. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now, like April and May just kind of felt meshed into one. And I honestly feel like the calendar was wrong. And April and May were significantly shorter than March was like it was definitely it definitely felt like April and May went by quicker and now we're already in June so it's flying by now after it seemed to take forever at the beginning and now we finally got some sports on the radar so that's good we do and sports slowly are starting to come back each week it seems like we got a new league kind of announcing their return to play and what's going on we were all set to talk about the new baseball and, you know, just the back and forth between the owners and the players. And then we get the Woj bomb from the NBA. And basically he talked about how we got 22 teams coming into Orlando. We got, um, it's going to be nine Eastern conference teams, 13 Western conference teams, and they're going to have a play in tournament for the eight seed between the eight and nine to determine the 16 teams in the playoffs, eight regular season games, to figure out seating, and it's all going to happen in Orlando. What are your thoughts on the proposal? I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. It's first of all, first and foremost, I love the proposal. It's funny, like for the last month or so, I can't count how many different possible proposals got leaked. I remember there was the, you know, uh, 24 teams kind of mirroring the NHL. There was going straight to playoffs with seating one through 16 instead of the conference uh, way of doing it. So there were a lot of things that leaked out, but this specific one that is now adopted didn't get leaked out. So either they did a really good job of keeping it under wraps or they just came up with it like yesterday. Um, But I really kind of think that this was of all the ones we've heard the best way to do it. Um, I know the last week has kind of been spent debating amongst fans. Like, do they, do they want to go to 22 or 24 teams because they think that's fair? Or is it because that's where the line of demarcation is that still gets Zion Williamson to play more games? Uh, but the way this kind of played out is fair. The teams that are still in it had to be within six games of the eight seed, which mm-hmm. is why there's a, a sort of uh, imbalance, 13 Western Conference teams, nine Eastern Conference teams. The Washington Wizards get in by being uh, five and a half games out. So that's they why sure nine do. East. Uh, well, the but, Wizards are interesting. I mean, especially if Wall plays. You know, that's the interesting thing about a team like the Wizards, maybe a team like the Nets. Do we see Durant? It'll be interesting to see. And they said the latest that this is going to go is October 12th. It's that would be game seven of the NBA Finals if correct. it goes all the way there. So. And it's going to start July 31st. So they're going to obviously play a lot of games in a short amount of time. So these stars that maybe have lingering injuries were sitting out the whole year, what they decide to do with guys like that. But I think it's great um, that they have a plan. They had the whole really money situation figured out, and they were just figuring out where to play, when they would play, how many teams would be in it. And the teams, exactly. The teams is the biggest thing. And and I think the way they did it is is really fair. You don't want teams that are too far out of it to waste their time. Like Steve Kerr even said, the Warriors were treating it as if their season was over. Like they were so far and away below everybody else. Why? even bring those teams into Orlando and have to use that many more tests and, and that much more uh, hotel capacity. It was unnecessary. What I'm curious to see, though, now, the next step is figuring out a schedule. You've got 22 teams. Everybody's going to play eight games. 
that means that not every team is going to have like an equal schedule. Right. So as you're making that push for the eighth seed in, in each conference, which team is going to draw the short end of the stick in terms of a, a tougher strike, the schedule. And it's going to be interesting to monitor because as much as everybody was kind of like fearful that they would try to just put Zion in the playoffs. I think this is going to be kind of the opposite of that because they've got eight regular season games left. They're going to try to come up with the best marquee matchups they can in those eight regular season games, which could mean that the Pelicans are going to have to go up against the Lakers because they want another LeBron Zion matchup. They could have to go up against the Clippers. I can see the Pelicans almost having such a tough road now because they want to see Zion up against these marquee teams. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the schedule plays out. There's no way to do this totally fairly because the numbers just don't work out that way in terms of like strength of schedule for everybody. But it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how some teams kind of react to the schedule unveiling, which there's no timetable for. Uh, Interesting to see how they react to that because there are going to be some teams that face a very uphill battle. I do like the play-in idea, though, for the eight and nine seeds. There was the whole talk yeah, that, too. you know, they, they might have they might have had a tournament for, like, multiple teams, like four or five teams, whatever the case was. But the way they did it seems pretty fair. Eight regular season games for everybody. And then as long as the nine seed is within four games of the eight seed, there will be a quick little playoff between them. The eight seed would have to lose two games to get eliminated. The nine seed would have to lose one game to get eliminated. So it's it's something that stacks the odds in the eight seed's favor that they would have to lose two games to the nine seed. And it's also like a clean way to do it. So you don't have like four teams in like a round robin sort of thing. It's just the eight and the nine. And if there's multiple teams that are within four games in the West, you don't have to worry about that in the East because there's only nine teams. But if there's multiple teams within four games in the West, it's just eight and nine. Sorry to 10, 11 if you guys are also within four. It's just eight and nine. It's a very clean way to do it. We've trusted Adam Silver all along. I said it last week. In my opinion, he's the best commissioner in all of sports. And they've got a really clean plan, and I really like it. I, I enjoy the NHL's plan. It, it fit their needs and, and their situation. And this, I think, really fits the NBA situation. To me, that 8-9 game is almost like in March Madness, the playing game between the 16s. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh great, you win a game, and your reward is to get the number one seed in the East yeah. and the West. So it'll I, be interesting. I know I'm glad the- they – I'm glad they went away from the one through 16 seating, regardless of conference. That's something where sure in the future, maybe we see that become a change, but I like that they stuck to, yeah, I like that they stuck to the, the conference model for now. Look, there was going to have to be something that was drastically different and this is drastically different, but you want to try to keep things as similar to the norm as possible and keeping the conference model does that. But the games are going to be fun because the way the, the way Woj was framing it when he was on ESPN earlier talking about it was that you're going to kind of have a March Madness atmosphere, not in the sense that it's single elimination, but in the sense that with the limited facilities at the ESPN's Wide World of Sports, um, that you've got probably like a noon game, a 2 o'clock game, a 4 o'clock game, a 6 o'clock game, all in the same court back to back to back to back. So it's just going to be – like all day NBA and almost like AAU almost. Oh yeah. Vegas, Vegas is going to eat that up because they missed out on March madness, but now you're going to have, you know, the the betters that would have been like picking a couple of seven o'clock games to bet on. Now they're going to be enticed to bet on every single game because you you got your winnings at 12, roll them over to two. You lost at 12, try to win it back at two. So it's, it's going to be a better dream too, as well, as far as the, uh, 
uh, the, the staggering of the schedule. So it's, I think the, the NBA kind of hit a home run on their proposal. It still hasn't – well, for transparency's sake, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's dropping tomorrow, Thursday, June 4th. The league has to uh, ratify it tomorrow. So by the time you're listening to this, it should be ratified. They said that they don't envision any roadblocks, so we are operating under the assumption that it gets agreed to. And I really do think this is a great plan for the NBA. I agree. The NBA has their stuff together. So does the NHL. The one league that's really in a little bit of uncertainty right now is MLB. We had Tim Kirchin on last week. If you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. Great conversation with Tim. He told us when we asked him if he thought there was going to be a season, he said, note my hesitation. I do think there will be a season, whether it's 82 games, whether it's over 100 games, whether he said it was even 40 games. He didn't know. Right now, Joe, though, I mean, there are it, – it's not good, man. They, they're really – they look like we were getting some good momentum. But right now, where the two sides are between the MLBPA and the owners, between the money and how many games the owners want them to play and how many games the players want them to play, it's, it's not good. At the end of this, if we do end up getting baseball games – do you think it's going to come down to the money first or do you think it's going to come down to the, how many games they end up playing? I've got no clue. I mean, I think we're all in the same boat now. I wish I could give you a direct answer. I don't know anymore. I've said all along that of all the leagues, I could see the MLB being the one league that doesn't return just because like to no fault of their own, they're just in the worst position. The NFL and college football don't have to worry for another couple months. The NBA and NHL just have to had to figure out, and they did figure out, finish a couple regular season games, get to the playoffs. Like right. 90% of their season was done. The MLB didn't start yet. And you're this talking the about – their season. This is it. You're, you're talking about getting 30 teams in a location to play a shortened season, and the MLB versus other leagues rely more on gate for their revenue. I was listening to the radio yesterday, ESPN New York, and, and they were saying the one team in the MLB who's got its numbers publicly on the books, like a publicly traded company, is the Atlanta Braves. And their books show that 63% of their revenue comes from game day, be it ticket sales, parking, uh, concessions, and, and team store, stuff like that. So while, while other leagues that have shorter seasons, like the NFL, don't rely as heavily on, on game day, for the NFL, the number is 15%. The MLB relies very heavily on it. So for the owners, in, in some cases, they're pro they would probably lose less money by not playing than by playing. Because if you don't play, well, then you don't have to pay the players. You don't have to worry about anything like that. If you do play, you'd have to play the players something, which they haven't agreed on. But there's a lot more moving parts in, in baseball. And again, just the logistics of kind of sequestering 30 teams for that prolonged period of time, whereas uh, the NHL, NBA, within a couple of weeks after a round or two of the playoffs, their numbers go from 24 or 22 down to eight. So it's just a massive undertaking for the MLB, and it doesn't help the situation that the MLB player union is probably the strongest in all of sports. So they're not going to budge. The owners, they're also not going to budge. That's why everybody was afraid of post-2021, the upcoming CBA issues. And I think that's got a direct influence on right now. 
both sides, the MLB Players Union and the owners, they don't want to give an inch now and show any sign of weakness because then that weakness could be used against them for the more important negotiation in 2021. So I have absolutely no clue how this is going to play out. Um, you've got the 114-game the plan by the players that got rejected by the MLB. Obviously, they were going to reject that in the same way that the players rejected the owner's proposal uh, when Max Scherzer Sounds, came out and had yeah. those. Exactly. So, so those were both the extremes. Both sides negotiated their extremes, and you hope now they can meet somewhere in the middle. But the clock's ticking. Uh, Jeff Passan said – or excuse me, it was Jesse Rogers said yesterday that there's no official date as far as like a, you've got to get it done by now in order to have some sort of season. But the number that keeps getting floated around, at least that the media is hearing, according to Jesse Rogers, was June 15th. This will release tomorrow on June 4th. So from the time you listen to this, there's 11 days for MLB to get a deal done. As far as that, like, whether it's a soft date or a hard date, we'll never know. We'll find out. Hopefully we don't find out they agree to something before that. But time's running out, and there's still a lot of issues to sort out. It was the one league that I wasn't confident would start, and I'm not any more confident now than I was last week. In fact, I'm a lot less confident now than I was last week. I would have probably put it at 60-40 they play last week, just based on a gut feeling for last episode. I'd probably put it at 51-49 with resuming now being the underdog. The pressure is on with each day that goes by more and more. There's no doubt about that. Do you think the one team that's enjoying this the most maybe is the Astros just because Bregman (laughs) and Altuve and Correa are sitting at home and they're like, man, this is another day where I might not get hit by a pitch or something like that. I didn't even think about that, but that's true. They, they're, they're hoping that this makes everybody forget about their, their transgressions. But nobody's going to forget about oh, it. Oh, nobody as baseball, will. As soon as baseball comes back, people are going to remember. But what about you? What do you think is kind of your yeah. gut feeling with the MLB right now? I mean, you know, like you, like t- if Tim tells us that he doesn't know and nobody knows, <laughs> then, you know, I mean, who are we to say? I just think, you know, like in the NBA, again, they had the money part figured out. But if the players want to play, I think that they'll maybe work with the owners more than they would and try and figure out a way to play. But if the owners are going to stand by those salaries of what they were going to pay some of their players, then there's no way they were going to take that. I think they end up, you know, meeting around that 82 game mark, which people were expecting. But like you said, I mean, the time's running out. They they really got to start making some decisions about it soon. You bring up a good point about how baseball has never started. So while there's pressure on them to play a season, there really isn't because they mm-hmm. never got going in the first place. We've talked about how NHL and NBA played almost 85% of their season. So there was this point for them to finish the season crown a champion while all of us want to see baseball back while the players want to play you know they, they haven't started yet so especially in the owner's mind I feel like you know they're going to stick to their guns for the most part and do what they think is right and if the players conform to them and agree with them then great but at the end of the day if there's no baseball played like you said, I mean, it really – they almost might save more money in the yeah. process. So, it's, it's just an interesting situation all around. Look, it seems like there's a logical solution. The players pr- proposed 114 games, got shot down. The owners allegedly are, are planning to come back with a 50-game plan that gives the players their prorated salaries. 114 plus 50 is 164. Divide that by two, 
and you get the 82 game proposal that we kind of talked about a little while back. So, uh, actually last week with Tim was the 82 game proposal that we were talking about. So the numbers can't mean nothing. It it obviously means something 50, 114 divided by two is 82. So there seems to definitely be that middle ground. If something gets done, I could see maybe 82 games and then the players get like 50% of their prorated salary now. And then maybe the rest, They've been talking about deferred payments, kind of like the Bobby Bonilla uh, ordeal where right. it's deferred over the next couple of years and the owners could pay it off as their revenue comes back up. But still a lot to be sorted out. NHL's back. And well, yep. the plan is to, to come back. Obviously, we don't know what the future holds, but NHL, NBA got it sorted out. Even the MLS got it sorted out. The MLB has to figure things out. Two entities that don't have to worry, though, for a little while, the NFL and the NCAA. College football and pro football are still a couple months away. They've got time to figure it out. We touch on that and much, much more with our guest for this episode, Minka Fitzpatrick. Very happy to welcome in our guest for this week, none other than NFL Pro Bowler, Pittsburgh Steeler, Alabama great, and going back to my days where I first saw him, St. Peter's prep great, Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka, thank you for joining us before we get to any of the serious stuff. With all that's going on right now, I just want to make sure you and your family are all safe and healthy. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, no, you know, course. me and my family are safe down in Florida, just taking it one day at a time, uh, keeping each other safe, making sure we're all good. And uh, like I said, just, just keeping it rolling, man. That's good to hear. I mean, I know for the two of us, it's like at this point, it's just a constant cycle of wake up, find something to do, and then go from there. So, But the most important thing is we all got our health, and that's uh, – that's all we could ask for right now. We were excited to, to have you on because between PJ and I both, we've spanned your entire career. I got yeah. my St. Joseph Regional High School yeah, shirt man, I don't As soon as he got on, he was eyeing that shirt, and he's like, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I had, so, I, I've had some rough games against uh, St. Joseph, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, so I, I saw you through high school. Uh, PJ at Bama the same time. You I like that flag. Yeah, making the background. I got the whole time behind me. Yeah, Absolutely, I like that, man. <laughs> so, so it was very, very exciting to have you on. I mean, going back to high school, you know, sure you lost to us fifty-six to twenty-eight in that one game, but uh, <laughs> I got to, <laughs> I got to see. I remember, I remember walking away from that game. My dad was at that game too, and obviously New Jersey, Northern Jersey, you know more than than anybody else. Powerhouse that nobody talks about. Yeah. We came away from that game saying that kid's gonna make it because he he seems like he's got all the tools. So saw you in that uh, those two Paramus Catholic title games and uh, and then kept kept tabs from there. And going back, I grew up a Bama fan like before I got to Maryland and stuff. So so it was good for me. I got to see you in high school, to see you in college. Yeah, so man. It was all, yeah, it was all good all around. We'll get serious in a second. One more kind of fun sort of question I want to ask you. Uh, November fourteenth, twenty nineteen. I was. Thursday Night Football, I was on the couch with my friends, and we saw Miles Garrett do something, and we all kind of looked at each other like, what the hell just happened? Uh, I don't yeah. want you to talk about the specifics. I don't want you to get yourself in trouble. Uh, but what, in that moment, what went through your mind? Like, what was your genuine human reaction to that? I, I, honestly, at first, I, I was kind of in shock, man, because, like, <laughs> you, you don't expect somebody to, to do something like that, um, you know, but – but I got like like I said, I, I was just like I was kind of taken back for a second, and then once I seen what was still going on on the field, I kind of ran out there because uh, it was it was getting crazy, it was getting wild, and uh, I don't even know if this shows the whole thing, but it was uh it was it was crazy, man. It, it yeah. was wild. So and like I, I said, was I don't shock want... at first. Like literally, I was like, I was like, what was, 
that really just happened? <laughs> right. And I was like, then we all just ran on the field and, you know, we had to go in there and, and, and you know, have our, our brothers back. But it was crazy. I, yeah, I've never like seen it, anything like that. Like I said, didn't want to get you in trouble with any specifics. I was just curious, like, be on the sideline for that. What the hell would have gone through some, <laughs> someone's yeah. mind uh, in yeah. that case? But I said we get serious. Uh, we're not going to keep we're not going to keep it all serious. We're going to be lighthearted throughout. But uh, um, I guess this is the hardest hitting question that you're going to get uh, come September with all that's going on right now, based on what you've kind of heard and, and just kind of gut feeling. Um, do you feel like we're going to be playing games in September or, or what have you kind of garnered from your, um, your organization? Yeah, I, I believe we're going to be playing games in September. Uh, obviously, they're going to be, um, you know, they're going to be uh, not our usual, uh, you know, regular season type games. Uh, they're going to be some alterations. I don't know what exactly they're going to be, but they're not going to be normal. That's all I know. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, as a professional athlete, uh, you have to be adaptable. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you got to learn how to adapt to, you know, changing situations and, uh, you know, that's what we got to do right now. So, you know, I, I definitely think we're going to be having uh, a season, but it's going to be different. It's not going to be normal. Um, and you just got to honestly just try and use, uh, you know, these changing situations as an, as an advantage. Mika, if you guys don't have fans for the first couple games, how, how much of an impact do you see that playing, if, if any at all? Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be different, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a guy, I, I love the game of football. You know what I'm saying? I go out there, no, no matter if it's in the street. Like, I was playing with my little brother today, and I was giving him the work. You know what I'm saying? Right, but, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's guys out there that, um, you know, they, they love the fans. No, I love the fans as well, but they love, uh, you know, hearing the fans yell and scream and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's definitely going to, uh, you know, guys like that, it's going to, you know, affect them because there's not going to be no loud cheer after they make a play or no nobody screaming or oohing and eyeing if they if they do something fantastic. But um, you know, it's it's, it's definitely going to be different, especially you know, communication wise when we're out there. Right. Um, I'm going to be talking to somebody in the office, going to hear me clear as day. <laughs> so um, that that would definitely be different. And you know, that works both ways though. You'll hear the you'll hear the offense's audibles too though. So, but the offense most of the time is just hand signals, man, or That's they true. know. You know what I'm saying? They're reading the coverage, and they know uh, coming out the huddle what's, what's going to happen. Or once we, you know, get set in the secondary, they they know what's coming. But um, like like I said, it's definitely going to be different. Um, you know, we're still going to go out there and compete and and try and entertain as as best we can, and uh, just just go out there and have fun with it. Even though they're not out there, we're still playing for them. We're still trying to entertain them. And, uh, you know, give our give our best uh, best effort for them. Is there I some? Got... Go ahead, Jim. No, I was just going to say that. Is there still something to playing at home even if there are no fans like is there just some Ooh. comfort level of playing in your own stadium or is at that point is it almost like neutral site kind of yeah man honestly it's almost like a neutral site I, right I, I, I didn't even think about that honestly like playing at home uh you know the, that crowd is going crazy especially up in Pittsburgh I, I can't even hear myself think you know what I'm saying when 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 we're up there and uh you know it definitely helps us as a defense you know uh when the offense is trying to communicate or, or make shifts and stuff like that so um I didn't even think about that. That's that's actually crazy. Um, yeah, it, it honestly will make it a neutral site pretty much. And the only advantage would we won't be traveling. You know what I'm saying? Just, right. You know, it helps a little bit, but um, you know, at this point, most guys are used to traveling a whole lot. But yeah, that, that, that's definitely a disadvantage for real. I wonder if I wonder if uh, they'll still play Renegade if there's no fans there. Oh, they, they got you. They, <laughs> they got you. We love that man. I, I remember the first time they played that. I was so hyped up. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, well, I guess if there's if there's limited fans or no fans, 
it's almost going to take it back to, to the high school days where it's just kind of the game in its purest form. Yeah, exactly. uh, but, but now where you are in your career, does it feel like it was that long ago, your high school career? And, and from, from then to where, does it feel like a lifetime ago? Honestly, it, it does, man. I don't know why, because it's only, what, maybe six years ago? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, six years ago. Um, I, was, I was still playing in high school, um, which is it's a good bit of time. But, um, you know, it's really not that long at all. But it definitely feels like it's way out there. I think it's just because everything moves so fast and I learned so much within those six years that it feels like it's so long ago. But it's really not that long at all. And when did you kind of start to get serious about this all and realize that you could go on to have a career in, in football? Man, you know, I, I was training and stuff in middle school, but I was just training because I just wanted to be good at football. You know what I'm saying? It was a game that I played, and I just wanted to be good at it. Um, but once I – once I, now my sophomore year, once I really started going out there and, and, and proving to myself that I could play amongst the best of the best, like you said, we played in the powerhouse conference, and I was out there making plays as a freshman and sophomore. Um, but once I seen that and I seen what I could do and, and um, the offers and scholarships started rolling in, I was like, man, I, I, I know I can play on the next level for sure. Mm -hmm. And then I did the same thing at Alabama. I proved to myself that, that I could go out there, compete amongst the best of the best, and be one of the best amongst the best. And, um, you know, same thing uh, transpired in the league. So I think it's a continual, continual just proving process. And, um, you know, definitely my, my, my sophomore year was that year where I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on there for this and, and keep pushing. You talked about all the offers and scholarships. Was Bama always your clear-cut number one through recruiting, or were there some other schools that you were seriously mulling over? Um, no, I grew up a Florida fan. Okay. And uh, so I, I love that Tim Tebow team. And then there's a couple guys that uh, were from uh, were around where I grew up, and uh, they played on that team. And, uh, you know, I just grew up loving that, that Florida Gators team that won the national championships and stuff like that. So they're fun to watch, entertaining, and they're a winner. So. I grew up loving them. And so, you know, in recruitment, I had that little bias, you know, towards them. But, you know, as the recruiting process went on, I realized that it wasn't the best fit for me. Um, and honestly, you know, once I went to Alabama and I did a camp my freshman to sophomore summer. And I, I did a camp there and I was working with Coach Saban. Like he had a group of DVs that he worked with specifically. And I told my mom, I was like, man, I always love to play for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was tough on me. Like, he was, he was cussing me out while we was in the camp. I was in high school, he was cussing me out. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I, I would love to play for him because I just seen the way that he, he challenged me and I, and, I, and I grew so much, even within those three, four days that we was out there. And I was like, that's the type of coach I need. I don't need somebody that's going to pat me on my back or, or um, you know, uh, sweet talk me. I need somebody that's going to give it to me real. He's going to challenge me. He's going to push me. And, um, you know, I think after that moment, they kind of just immediately jumped to the top. And then, uh, you know, some schools, Florida State uh, came in very late. Uh, you know, they had some great coaches over there, um, uh, defensive coordinator, and he's actually at Alabama now. Um, but, you know, Florida State came in late. But besides that, there's some schools that were kind of on the radar, but, you know, nobody really proved themselves uh, more to me than Alabama. And now what is it about Coach Saban that you think makes him such a good recruiter, having gone through that process with him? To the winning. <laughs> <laughs> Puts all those rings on the table. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Now he, he opens that box and the rings is all right there. Yeah, that'll do it to yourself, man. But no, seriously, though, like, that's, that's 
that's that's why I feel like he 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 gets the recruiting classes that he gets. He gets results. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to do that sweet talk. He doesn't have to pat you on the back. He just shows you his results. You know what I'm saying? And people buy into that, and people uh, you know like results. And so you know, parents and kids, they they they're like. Why would I go somewhere else that's not proven when there's a proven system that works and has worked for a long time, you know? So we all see Saban, you know, on the sideline, super fiery, intense coach, getting on his players. But behind the scenes, when he's away from football, when he's hanging out with you guys, what kind of guy is he like? Do you have any good good Saban stories? Man, I get this question all the time. (laughs) He's like that when – he's like that. So on practice – like, he'll be cracking jokes and stuff like that if we're doing right. You know what I'm saying? Once right. we mess up, then he's he's getting on us. He's whipping on us and everything else like that. But, uh, no, it was it was cool to – because he's, he's, he was like the, another defensive back coach. You know what I'm saying? He'll be in the room with the DBs uh, every meeting, every film session. Um, and, you know, being in, in, in the room with him that long, you actually got to see his personality and not just that fiery, you know, guy that's yelling and throwing his headphones that, that you guys see on the, on the sideline. Right. Um, but, you know, he's, 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 he's a character, man. He, he's, he loves to crack jokes. He loves to make us laugh. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's witty. He's smart. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, just being around it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a blessing to experience, honestly, because, you know, people so many, say so many different things about him and actually getting to experience him as a person was, a, was an honor and, and, a, and a blessing, honestly, to, to be around every single day. And now, obviously, as far as recruiting goes, you said he puts the rings on the table, and that's it. You want to be there. But then that's the jump from high school to college. There's also the jump from pro to the NFL. And we see it every year. There's so many guys on that defense who turn pro and have great success. What makes him so good at producing that next-level talent? Is it, a, is it just an attention to detail thing? Is it like, What about him makes him so consistent in producing that next-level talent? I think it's a combination of a couple of different things. And the attention to detail is definitely one. Um, but I think the, the the biggest thing is that, you know, we're competing against the best of the best every single day. You know, I, I could have went to a whole bunch of other schools and, you know, I, I would have been one of the – I would have been the top dog there, but I would have been by myself. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of guys that could be in that situation, but they choose to go to somewhere like Alabama to be pushed by Calvin Ridley every single day, to be pushed by Jerry Judy every single day, to be pushed by Jalen Hurts every single day. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I, I went there to uh, compete, you know what I'm saying? I went there to compete against the best DBs every single day, and I went, went there to compete against the best receivers and quarterbacks that the high school ever produced. And, um, you know, along with that attention to detail that was ingrained in us throughout the process and all that stuff, I think, is what um, – you know, really, uh, you know, helps us when we get to the next level because there wasn't much schematically. There was no learning I really had to do uh, when when I went down to Miami. Like I knew, I knew all the schemes and everything like that that Coach that Coach Saban had taught us, and it was almost the same as that defense that that we ran. And I had no issues learning it. I had no issues going out there and running with anybody because I was going against the fastest guys, the strongest guys every single day. You know, on the practice field, and I just feel like that really just prepares. Uh, Alabama players when, when, when we're out there in the league. Now, Minka, can you explain for everybody, you know, the SEC's got this saying that it just means more, right? The passion, yeah. the pageantry, the traditions. From players' perspective, when you're out there on the field, when you're riding on the bus to the Walk of Champions, when you run out of the tunnel, 
what can you tell people about what a Saturday in the South is like that you got to experience? Did you go to Bama? Did you go to Bama or something? I did. I did. (laughs) But I just want him to let everybody else know. That's hilarious. Oh, (laughs) man, it's, 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 it's full of passion. Like the, 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 you just, you just sense the energy when, when, when we're riding over to Brian Denny and, you know, we're driving and you see everybody, uh, you know, just giving us a thumbs up or yelling roll tide uh, at the bus. And then when we do the Walk of Champions and you just see from kids from, you know, two, two years old and then grown men, you know, all the way to their 80s are, 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 are out there, you know what I'm saying, screaming and yelling and, um, you know, just cheering us on and getting us hyped up to go out there and, and do what we do. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just full of passion, full of energy. Uh, it's a deep-rooted tradition. You know what I'm saying? Football is mm-hmm. nothing new down there. And, um, you know, it's just it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to honestly to, to go out there and just experience and feel so many people. Was your favorite game that you played in, you think, while you were at Bama? Was it that Georgia national title game or was it, was it another game? Oof. I, I can't I can't count the national title games because like right. all, all of them you know what I'm saying like they're national titles so they're uh-huh. my, my favorite. Um, but my my favorite my most fun game yeah from like the regular season maybe that you played yeah the from the regular yeah. season it would be probably my freshman year when we played Georgia at Georgia and it was oh in the in the pouring down rain, rain. Yeah, I remember was, it. oh uh-huh. man that game was so much fun because I remember when we first went out the tunnel. And like their players were like right there, and we was all up in each other's face. I forgot what song was playing, but it was some hype song. So everybody started jumping like up and down, like yep. getting each other's faces, and the coaches and the refs had like back and stuff. And it was just that was one of my my, my first road games at Alabama, and I was like, I like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you blocked a uh, punt for a touchdown, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah you I did. did. I remember that. And, um, <laughs> That that game that game was just crazy, but that was probably the most like fun I had during a regular season game. And um, you know, it, it, I had fun all, every single game, but that one was the one that stood out to me because it was one of my first that was really like this is SEC football. You know what I'm saying? So right, it was, it was crazy. Now everybody always says SEC football closest thing to the NFL. It's NFL, SEC, then kind of the rest of college football. So you were prepared at Bama to make that jump. But was there ever like an old blank moment when you were on the field in the NFL or your rookie year where you were like, I- I'm in the NFL? Like, were you facing yeah. off against somebody? Like, was there, did you ever have that moment like, I'm yeah. in the NFL? Yeah, it, it, came, it came late in my rookie season. We were playing, uh, we were playing Indianapolis. Andrew Luck was, was a quarterback, and I was covering T.Y. Hilton uh, for, for a good portion of the game. And you know, I, I was I was doing my I was, I was handling my, doing 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 well. You know, I had a couple catches for like five six yards. Um, but you know, we we're competing out there. And uh, he ran the seam route. We were I was at we were at number two. And I was at nickel. He was at in the slot. And he ran the seam route. I'm on his hip. Like couldn't be in any better position, right? And like all of a sudden, I just see him turn like this and just like catch the ball. And I'm like, I look and I just push him out of bounds. And I'm like. I'm like, what? Like, how did that just happen? And like, I'm looking, and I and I, I go back to the huddle, and, and one of the other corners, he looked at me. He was like, "You couldn't do nothing better." Like, that was just a perfect throw, perfect catch. So you're in perfect position, but Andrew Luck just made a, a perfect pass, and like, you can't really do nothing about it. And I was like, "Dang!" Like, this is what quarterbacks in the NFL is like, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy, but it was wild. What was your biggest takeaway from your rookie season? Then moments like that that then carried over into your second year and kind of propelled you to that next level? 
Man, <clears throat> I I would say, um, you know, you're never gonna be be perfect out there on the field, but you could always strive for it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you you're always gonna make mistakes. That no, no matter what, you could always do something better. Even if you had like on my pick six, I could have done something better. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you could always strive for it. And I feel like uh, you know a lot of guys say, since I'm not gonna I'm not perfect, why why chase? You know what I'm saying? I think. You should always be chasing perfection, uh, but not beat yourself up when you're not. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so that was something I learned my, my my rookie year. And another thing I learned just throughout this experience that whole season was adaptability, kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, is that year I moved all around. You know what I'm saying? I went from uh, starting that nickel spot, then I moved to free safety for a little bit, and then I moved to corner for like the last half of the season. And uh, I learned that, you know, in order to, to last in this league, you have to be uh, adaptable in, in in any way that you can. You know, like for me, I had to be versatile. But for some other guys, it might be, you know, you might have to, you know, learn a, a new position. You know what I'm saying? Or for mm -hmm. some guys, it might be uh, you might have to learn how to, to, to receive, you know, tough coaching. You know what I'm saying? So if you want to last long in this league, you got to learn how to adapt, learn how to uh, – you know, buy into the to the culture and, and the program. And then, you know, you got that welcome to the NFL moment you mentioned with Ty. What's your favorite moment so far as a pro pro player? Oof. Um. I don't. I don't know, man. Uh, I would say. This, 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 I don't, I, <laughs> I already get enough flack. From Man, it's been two fans, years. But, you you, don't, but, you only got 32 games to pick from. It's not like you got yeah, seven yeah, seasons Yeah, I know. It's not even that. It's not even that. <laughs> I, I would say, honestly, when we played um, Miami on that, in, on that, 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 that night game, it came up to Pittsburgh and, you know, I, I played where I played at, at two picks. We were down and they're they're beating us and you know I had two picks early the two touchdowns and we came back and won the, and won the game and uh you know it was just like it wasn't like an in your face type type thing it was just like for me it was um you know I knew the type of player I was I knew the type of player and uh the potential I I have and and still have you know I'm still growing still learning still have a lot to learn um but you know I, it was just that in the, it was that moment where I was like uh you know all that that stuff you went through whether it be the the, the trade or just uh you know stuff that my family had to deal with it, it was worth it, you know what i'm saying we were, we were right in the end and uh you know it was just a reminder of that so when you got traded to pittsburgh do you remember how you found out about it say that again when you got traded to the steelers do you remember how you found out about it yeah uh chris beer the, the gm of the, the dolphins he, he just uh he called me up and he told me that, uh, you know, they had made a deal with Pittsburgh and uh, that uh, Kevin uh, was going to be – Kevin, the GM for the Steelers, was going to be calling me and, uh, you know, they're going to move forward from there. Just what kind of clicked for you as soon as you got there? Because you seemed to fit right in, all, all the turnovers, everything. It, it kind of fit perfectly, it looked like, at least from our perspective watching it. Yeah. I mean, I was in the right spot. <laughs> 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 That's it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I – I, I I was put in a position in which I was able to maximize my strengths. You know what I'm saying? I was able to maximize my instincts. I was able to maximize my athleticism. I was able to maximize my preparation for the game. 
you know what I'm saying, in, in, the, in the position I was previously played in when I was in Miami, uh, I wasn't able to do that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, when they moved to that free safety spot, uh, I knew I was going to make plays, you know, off the rip because, you know, that's the type of player I am. I'm, I'm a guy that's going to go out there, play instinctive, play fast, play hard, physical football. And, you know, that's what they allowed me to do. They literally, they literally said, well, you're going to be starting. Like, I got there Tuesday morning. <laughs> or I was on the plane Tuesday morning, and my phone started blowing up. And I was like, oh, what happened now? And because uh, everything happened, like, Monday night. And I went, I left Tuesday morning. Phone was blowing up went right when I landed. And then uh, Coach Tomlin had announced I was going to be starting at free safety that Sunday. And uh, when I got there, he told me, he was like, listen, you just go out there. We're going to get you to play, but you're going to learn to play, which is not going to be a problem, but just go out there and play ball, do what you do. And, uh, you know, he allowed me to do that. And, you know, what resulted, resulted. And what's the off season been like for you from like a communication standpoint, just from how often are you zooming with, you know, the defensive backs and the other safeties? How often yeah. are you meeting with the entire defense, with the whole team? What's, what's that been like for you the past couple months? Yes. So, so what we do since, uh, so we were supposed to report back April 15th, but we started uh, like virtual meetings and stuff. Uh, I think the first week of May. And um, what that looks like, we have a team meeting every Monday on Zoom. And uh, we will we'll just, you know, Coach Tomlin will just run through, you know, any updates he has for us on report dates and uh, team issues. Like yesterday, we talked about, uh, you know, everything that's going on uh, from Minnesota and just around the, the country right now. And mm -hmm. uh, we addressed those issues and then we started talking football. Uh, and so, you know, from there, uh, we go into special teams and defense and then we break up in a position. Uh, so, so that's, that's, that's really it. We'll, we'll meet uh, Monday through Thursday. Uh, we'll go from special teams, defense, to individual. And so we're, we're talking every, every day from Monday, more well, Monday through, through Thursday. Now, Last one here before PJ transitions into to our fun two closing segments that we try to do with every guest. And by that, I mean the one time we've had a guest so far. I guess the better way to phrase it is what we're going to try to do with all of our guests. Um, going into this season, Big Ben's back. You got some, some key additions in the draft. Uh, what are you most looking forward to this upcoming season, personally and, and from a team perspective? Um, I, look, I look forward to, you know, getting to, to, to know the team a little better. You know, last year I, I – I didn't really have the opportunity to invest into relationships throughout the team because I, once I got there, I, I was off football, man. I was out on a mission. I was out to prove myself and, uh, you know, out to, to I was a man on a mission, you know what I'm saying? And I was off football and, and that was it for real. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get time to, you know, learn about my teammates or even learn, you know, how they think on the field or what they know on the field. And, um, you know, I think this year uh, that's going to be a, a goal of mine. Hey, uh, Thing I'm gonna try and just do more because the better you know your teammates, the better you're gonna be able to communicate with them. You're gonna know how they're gonna react, you're gonna know how they think, and uh, you know, it's gonna enhance your play out there on the field. All right, Minka. So now we're gonna get into the Swift Seven. All right, and basically, what this is is it's just seven rapid fire questions for you, and you just give us your answer in a couple words or less, and then we got a trivia question for you on the back end. All right, uh oh, uh oh. So, question number one Who was your favorite football player growing up? Ooh, favorite football player growing up. Uh, can I name multiple? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I, I grew up a Philly fan. Okay. So I, I would have to go with McNabb, uh, Vic, 
Westbrook and Brian Dawkins. I don't okay. know if you want Pittsburgh so, fans knowing yeah. you rooted for the other Pennsylvania team growing up. <laughs> Number two, what was your favorite spot to eat in Tuscaloosa? Favorite spot to eat? Man, this, this is going to sound weird, but um, I don't know. Actually, uh, Heritage House, man. Heritage House. That, okay. that was my spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there, just relax a little bit, and I'll get the, uh, the oatmeal, the baked oatmeal. Yeah. yeah, I have not. No. Oh man, you gotta try that next time. My spot was City Cafe. Did you go there? Okay, I've been there. I've been there like twice. I, yeah, I, I, I got I you. There much, but that's a good spot too. Number three, where was your favorite place to play in the SEC? Texas A&M. A&M. Okay. A&M. <laughs> Kyle Field. Yeah. I, I had some great games on that field, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, who was the best defensive player that you played with during your time at Bama? Lots to choose from. Gosh, I can't answer that one. <laughs> uh, if you want to plead the fifth, it's cool. Yeah, I'll probably plead the fifth. I, I really, I can't pick out an answer, man. We have so many, so much talent. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Especially in the league now, like we have right. so much talent. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's a tough one to answer. TJ just put that question in there so you could say, "Oh, we've got so much talent at Bama." That's, that's yeah, yeah, just I, did. <laughs> I set you up. We, we, well text, we texted before. We texted before. I we did. <laughs> well done, Minka. Oh man! All right, number five, favorite NFL stadium to visit so far. Uh, man, favorite NFL stadium besides Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, of course. Besides uh, that, we all know Pittsburgh's got to be your number one. <laughs> you know, Minnesota, man. Minnesota was nice. I like I like that one a lot. It was uh, you know, it's the, the indoor stadium, and then they do that skull chant. Yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. And then they have just like the, the crazy like, like uh, you know, they have the glass on the one end zone. You can see like the the city skyline. It was it was pretty wild. It, it was a nice little setup. Number six, favorite quarterback to pick off so far. <laughs> uh it's gotta be tom tom brady that, that, was, that was my first one i i got i got on my uh my rookie year um but but yeah that, that'll be it right there of course number seven and you're gonna be biased in this answer but i am too that's why i asked it same reason pj asked his bama question <laughs> number seven is new jersey northern jersey the high school football powerhouse of the nation Oof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not. I'm not gonna be biased in this. You know what I'm saying? Because my 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 initial gut reaction was yes, of course, of course you are. <laughs> but you know we we're up there. There's there was a, a article that came. Out, I think my 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 senior year of high school. I think it put us at like four or five. You know what I'm saying? I think if we had more schools that were you know competitive besides the four or five that we have now, and had when I was uh, in high school, I think we we definitely compete for the number one spot. But uh, we're, we're definitely up there, top five for sure. All right, now the trivia question that PJT is. It's not too it's, – it's not like NFL history trivia. It's more Minka Fitzpatrick 2019 trivia. Uh, last season between week seven and week nine, that was your best stretch. You had four picks and a touchdown in that three-game stretch. Can you recall which three teams you played and which quarterbacks you intercepted? Um, so it was Indianapolis Colts. Was one of them. Was, uh, quarterback was Boyer. It was because Brissett got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well and done. That was the tough one. Miami uh, was Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. and then the last one was Jared Goff. Yep, 
All three teams, all oh, quarterbacks. Get that, man. That's an easy question. Well done. <laughs> of course, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> I mean, we just threw that up for him. He swatted yeah, it in the 10th round. That was easy. I'll take it. I'll take it. The last one, <laughs> yeah. Tim Kirchner on it. I don't want to make him feel bad, but he, we, we asked a question. He got it wrong, so we didn't want to come out too hard this week. So, so I guess you kind of yeah. get the benefit of the, of the little layup <laughs> yeah. there. But uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. This was, this was a blast for us. Hey, we hope maybe when the season comes along, we could kind of get together again as things go along by week or something. But first and foremost, thank you for your time and continue to stay healthy and safe for your family. Thank you. Yes, thank sir. You. Appreciate y'all having me on. So once again, that was Pro Bowl safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Minka Fitzpatrick. Can't thank him enough for coming on and spending some time with us. We were only thinking we would get 20 minutes out of him, and he gave us 30 minutes. Absolute pro. Awesome. Absolute Fantastic pro. answers. Um, it was great to hear some of those saving stories, but right off the yeah, bat, yeah, I thought – Yeah, you got your well, – well, well, you got a lot, of, a lot of Bama promotion in there for that. I'm, well, not complaining. You know, I mean, I'm not complaining because, like I said, I, I, I was a Bama fan – uh, I'll give you the side story on that in a second because people always make fun of me for liking Bama being a bandwagoner. But you got some good Bama promo in there. I, I, you definitely slipped that one in there on purpose, your favorite defensive player, only so he could be like, oh, there's so many. <laughs> that was the only oh, reason you asked. Every, you know, every good shooter needs an assist, man. So I was just setting go. him up. And, I mean, don't act like you weren't enjoying, too, the little well, high know, like school said, back and forth, wearing your St. Joseph's shirt and making yeah. sure he saw that. Mentioning maybe how you guys beat him up a little bit in high 56, school. 28. There you, know. you go. But uh, no, but no awesome. I mean, it was, it was great because so I, I briefly mentioned those two title games against Paramus Catholic. Um, so Paramus Catholic, uh, this is like really kind of niche right here, but uh, the, the big three in this area in Northern Jersey that has produced a ton of talent in the NFL, uh, it's St. Joe's, my school, Bergen Catholic, and Don Bosco Prep. It was always that big three until I was in high school, and that's when Minko was in high school as well. He helped get St. Peter's on the map. His quarterback was Brandon Wimbush, went on to Notre Dame and some college football success. And on premise Catholic, after transferring from Don Bosco Prep, was Jabril Peppers. So that 2013 title game, Minka and Jabril were going at it the whole game. It was pouring rain. It was a great game. I was there for that. Um, there was some really good uh, – a lot of good rivalries, a lot of great talent, a lot good of talent. fun in North Jersey. Uh, my school produced Joe Giles Harris. He's now uh, gets in a, a bit for, uh, as a linebacker for the Jaguars, mostly a special teamer for now, but she's got a couple starts last year. Um, Rashawn Gary was on that team for Paramus Catholic. Harbaugh likes talent. your area, man. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, that, so Chris Partridge, who is now a coordinator, went on to be a coordinator at Michigan, was the head coach of Paramus Catholic when Jarrell oh, Peppers okay. was there. And that's how that kind of connection happened. Harbaugh recruited there. Uh, Partridge ended up getting a job with Harbaugh. So it, it, there's a lot of connections going on there and a lot of talent as well. Uh, Jarrett Garantano was the quarterback for Bergen Catholic during that time, now leading Tennessee's resurgence. So, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm forgetting a bunch of other names as well. There's a ton of talent. Going back to McCourty, twins went to my high school. Brian Cushing went to Bergen Catholic. Just a lot of talent. Um, yeah, wow. Just, just all around. But my, my big my takeaway – Oh, go. My, go my quick Bama backstory, like I yeah. said, because people always make fun of me for being a Bama front runner. I could pinpoint it exactly. It was back before they got good. It was like right when Saban started there. Right. They had, uh, I was in Hershey Park with my family, and we were eating at this restaurant in Hershey Park called the Bears Den. It was at the, it was at one of the hotels, and uh, we checked. It was like a sports bar. We checked it out that night, and on the TV, it was Bama at that time, unranked, not that great, against a highly ranked Arkansas team with Darren McFadden. 
Now, when you're a kid, you go one of two ways. You either pick the front runner or you root for the underdog. There's really not much of an in-between. I was one that always tried to, like, pick the underdog. So I'm sitting there watching that game, and then I'm like, oh, man, this running back's name is Coffee. It was Glenn Coffee. I was like, that's awesome. So I was rooting for the underdog. I liked the running back's name. So from that point forward, I started rooting for Bama. So that's my – I just be like, oh, oh, nine, title over Texas. I'm a Bama fan. Like, it was, it was well before that. So that's my, like, you know, people always come at me for being a, a Bama fan at, with no connections to the school. But that is my backstory, and, uh, and that's, that's why it worked out. You got in at least, you know, <laughs> while they were down exactly. low, which is exactly. good. I was just going to say the, the big takeaway from me was, you know, my attitude has always been, like, why, you know – if you can't, the kind of KD thing, like, if you can't beat them, like, why would you join them, you know? Like, all these big-time recruits that go to Bama and Clemson. Like, don't you want to be the guy that goes to another school to take those two down? But you hear Minka talk about, like, it's just the everyday, like, getting to compete against the Jerry Judys and the Calvin Ridleys. Yes, when Saban recruits and he puts those rings on the table, like, winning talks. And that's what you want to do is you want to win championships you want to compete for championships. But I thought it was just interesting how a lot of these college football guys see it as, yes, they want to go to the NFL, but they see the day-to-day competition. But and that's how part of it. That's going because, to make them better. Because as much as you'd like to be the guy to, to take a program to prominence and the, the kind of fame you get from that, I mean, if, if he would have gone to – I guess he's not the best example because as a, as a DB, like, he can only influence the game so much. Influences a ton. You saw the impact he had with the Steelers, but there's a limit to how much you can influence. But if you're like a quarterback, like a Trevor Lawrence, for example, sure, Trevor Lawrence could have gone to – he could have gone to Rutgers and, and tried to take them to the promised land, and then he would never have to pay for a dinner or a drink in New Jersey the rest of his life. But – it's a business. De- the part that people forget is it's a business decision. You're not getting paid in college. That's a whole different topic for us to argue another day. But you're, these top talents, sure, they'd like to win in college, and there's the competitive juices flowing, and, and there'd be that lore of, of being the hero for a smaller team. But you want to go to the school that's going to best prep you to make millions in the NFL. And right. that's the biggest recruiting tool that all these Blue Bloods have why would you go to I'm sorry to pick on Rutgers being my state school and my brother goes there but why would you go to a Rutgers during their downswing to try to win there when Clemson and Alabama are basically pro first round pick factories at this point uh why would you and I say this because you know Maryland's currently in a battle with Oklahoma for a quarterback in in Caleb Williams you know I don't know how that's going to play out and I probably shouldn't say this, but being, being a, a Maryland alum, but why would you pick Maryland? Sure, it's your hometown, but like, why would you pick Maryland when Lincoln Riley just had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. Two number one picks, Jalen Hurts. two Heisman winners. Yeah. Exactly. Two number one picks, two Heisman winners. Jalen Hurts was a Heisman finalist right. and a second round pick. Now Spencer Rattler's there, and he's going to pretty much have that same trajectory, you'd imagine. So, exactly. so why would you not go to the place that's going to best prep you to be a, a first-round pick, maybe a number one pick, win a Heisman? You're going to make the college football playoff at these schools. So it, it's, it's such an easy recruiting tool. And uh, sure, the winning helps, like you said, when he opens the ring box. But more than anything else, if I were, you know, about – actually athletic and six inches taller and heavier and muscular. And, you know, I would go to a school that's going to 
pump me out to make millions. That's the biggest selling point. You go to college football to prep you for the pros as much as you like to win while you're there. And that's it. What he, everything he said makes sense. It's, it's kind of confirmed, obviously, what everybody pretty much knows about recruiting. But just it was very interesting hearing it from him himself. And there's a guy like Rondell Moore at Purdue. We both know him very well, one of the best receivers mm-hmm. in the country. But, you know, he's at Purdue when he could have gone to Ohio State or he could have gone to Bama or LSU or wherever. But he went to Purdue because he wanted – he liked Jeff Brom. He wanted to make a name for that school. And he'll still be a first-round pick. He's a great talent. Exactly. But, again, you know, he's not going against competition that he would be if he went to some of these other schools. Who knows if that will hurt him or help him when he gets to the next level. But it's just those kind of things. So I think you could bring up a, uh, a great point about those kind of things. So we've talked about the Mink interview was great. Now the NFL and college football, Minka seems to think that the season will probably start on time. He doesn't know whether or not there will be fans. The NFL, I mean, they're going to make every possible I mean, measure college too. they can. College, too, to because start you, on time. You, you've already heard, you know, uh, Ohio State come out and say that they plan to start on time and they want to have between 22 and 50,000 in the stands. They normally see 100,000 plus, but they want to be on time and they want to have some sort of fan presence. So they've got plenty of time to figure it out and they are going to want to do anything they can, like you said, to get fans in the stands. But the funny thing is like the NFL and college, I'm not sure about the college numbers, but specifically the NFL of all the leagues, they l- rely least heavily on uh, on gate because if you think about it, each team only has eight home games. So it's not like, you know, the MLB where you're losing 81 home games. You're only right. losing eight. Most of these places, most of these teams, their revenue and is only like 15 or so percent from game day, uh, game day, whether it's parking, tickets, all, all the things, that, yeah, all the things right. that come with game day. So as much as they would like to have fans, they're the one sport that could really do without having them. But the fans mean so much to the integrity of the game itself. Especially college. Like, exactly. Like could you imagine Death saying, Valley at night with like nobody in the crowd exactly. or Penn State whiteout? So that would be the like, interesting like, part. Like he, was, like he was saying, it's going to be like a neutral site almost. So that's a big deal here. I mean, this, you hate going to Seattle to play the Seahawks, even when, they're, even when they were in their down years of like seven and nine and stuff, because it was you so you loud. You hear. The, yeah. the, beast, the beast quake season, when, when Lynch went on that run in the playoffs, yeah. they made it at seven and nine or eight and eight. I forgot, but they, they barely whimpered in the playoffs, got a home game and won. So yeah. it, that, that's how much it could mean. And it's going to be really interesting to see if there's no fans, how that impacts the games. And, and it's something we'll touch on kind of, I guess, as we continue to, to a, approach these topics and with the NBA and NHL coming back. I'm curious to see, will there just be chaos because teams are coming back from this long layoff? Or will there be a, a case of te- the cream rising to the top because – it's there's no crowd there's no other uh variables it's just talent versus talent and and that's something i'm curious to see for the nfl with no crowd juice if there's no crowds with no juice to kind of play off of you know the the home upset that a 4 and 12 team might pull will that happen or will it just be purely the better team will almost always win because there's no variables and right. it's just a neutral site game you, you, that's why you know when vegas makes the odds like 
neutral site games versus a team being home or away. Like there's a definite swing in the point spread based on if you're home or away or not. There's a reason for that. So now if everybody's basically playing a neutral site game because of no fans, I think you could maybe see this season a, a bigger gap in terms of the records. Like the bad teams are going to be way worse. The good teams are going to be way better. There's not going to be as defined of a middle uh, when the season comes around. Those teams that steal a couple games just because they're home and have the crowd, they're not going to have that anymore. I think a part, too, that people aren't talking about when comparing NFL to college football is the fact that NFL gets preseason. So if they get four games without fans, they at least get a little taste of what that will be like and how they handle certain situations. As we know, college football, a lot of times, you know, either those big-time schools play a big opponent week one and then get a cupcake week two or vice versa. So they can almost have that preseason game early on in the season. When they jump in week one, especially if they're playing in an NFL stadium or they're playing at home and there's supposed to be 100,000 people in the crowd and there's nobody, it's going to be really interesting to see how 18, 19-year-old kids handle that kind of thing, yeah. how they find their way to get motivation on an 11 a.m. kickoff. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be something to watch. Yeah, and, and this is all obviously hypothetical because, I mean, there's nothing going on. So all right. we can really do is talk about a lot of <laughs> hypotheticals. Um, but I personally do think, just based on what seems to be the trend, that, that teams will figure out a way to get at least partial capacity. I mean, uh, the, yeah, the governor pumping of Texas, crowd noise like Joe. Well, Buck besides, was talking. besides that, uh, like the, the governor of Texas, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, came out and said that he anticipates that that the Texas NFL teams could operate with twenty five percent capacity. So they're already starting to, besides have a plan in place to play. Period. They're already mobilizing a plan to have fans in the stands. And that's, again, another big advantage that college and the NFL have over the NHL, NBA, uh, MLB, and anything else trying to play right now is that they have three more months to figure it out, whether it's figuring out how to alternate rows, leave buffers between seats, um, figure out how to, how to streamline concessions. Like they have – time is on their side, whereas right. it wasn't on the side of the leagues that were – already in play or ready to begin play like the MLB. So NFL, college football, they're, they're definitely in a better spot. And uh, I'm excited to see kind of uh, how this all shakes out. Not really – I don't know if excited is the word. I think more like a nervous excitement because, sure, there's going to be games. You're excited to build up to the games. But, like, what's it going to look like? What's the quality going to be like? There's a lot of variables still up in the air. But it was just very interesting to hear um, from Minka, who's, you know, like he said, he's got – meetings every day Monday through Thursday talking to his teammates his coaches people in the organization so he's got a better feel for this than we do just based on kind of the hearsay from the media uh, and the fact that he felt good about playing in September makes me feel good because like I said he's got more people in in his year that he's probably able to kind of hear from on a, on a day-to-day basis but the, the biggest question is obviously will there be fans or not no question. And before we get into some NFL-based trivia for each other to close out the podcast, we'll do another installment of Where Would You Go, Joe? I got three more hypotheticals for you. If I could give you a ticket to all three of these games, which one would you go to? You and cheated a little bit on this one. Did you? you okay. A little bit. No, okay. no, you did. You did. Oh, you I did. a little bit. Yeah, because, because I, thought, I thought we had said last week that we were going to, again, like we've said a couple times already in this episode, we don't record it on the day it releases, but we wanted to have this segment be games the day it releases. So you should have been picking from June 4th, 
but you, you saw the schedule and didn't like anything from that day, so you decided to make the executive decision and go for June 2nd. But I'm okay with it because it's a good list. So exactly pretty much what happened. I looked at June 4th. I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, June 2nd's got some good ones. So June 2nd, here we go. Answer choice A. NBA Finals Game 1, Cavs at Warriors, the much-anticipated rematch from when the Warriors won the first meeting. This was the year when the Cavs ended up winning in seven in Golden mm -hmm. State, came from behind 3-1. So you get to go to game one of that series in Oracle. You get answer B, which is Stanley Cup Finals game three, Golden Knights versus Caps, with the series tied up at one. First home playoff, home Stanley Cup playoff game for the Caps since the mid uh, to late 90s, only the second time they've ever been the Cup uh, in team history. And then answer choice C, would be Eastern Conference Final Game 7, Jordan's Bulls versus the Bad Boy Pistons in 1990. This was well documented in the last dance. The Pistons won that Game 7, motivated Jordan and his teammates to come back. They swept Detroit the following year. But you get a Game 7 of an Eastern Conference Final or you get your choice of NBA Finals or Stanley Cup Finals. So what say you, Joe Malfoy? I mean, there's a very easy decision here. It's definitely choice C. Um, game one of the 2016 NBA Finals, I remember that game. It wasn't really a good game. Warriors pulled away. I think they won by like 15. Um, remember that game too as well between uh, the, the, the Golden Knights and the Caps. But again, it's a game three. You, you cannot, absolutely cannot pick against a game seven. Uh, that's, it's the best words in sports. It's game seven. It so I'm you, you got, and not only that, but, this is probably as historic of a games, as historically significant of a game seven that wasn't uh, in the in the finals as you can get because this was the series, this was the year that after losing, as we saw in the last dance, that the Bulls really kind of put their heads down and charged forward. Started this was the last time. This yep. was it. This was the last time they would lose. They go on Correct. a three-peat. Jordan leaves. They come back for another three-peat. This was it. This was the last time Jordan tolerated a, a loss. And I think that's got to be the obvious decision besides it being game seven, besides kind of the history of how, how vicious some of those uh, Bulls-Pistons series and games were with the bad boy pistons just the historical significance that this was it this was the last time jordan and the bulls lost excluding the season when he came back with like 15 games left and wasn't in shape like that was a different story this was the first time that he played a full season excuse me the last time he played a full season and they did not end the season by lifting the trophy so it's got to be this game even too for the you know just the, the whole hearing more about it now, the whole Isaiah Thomas versus Michael Jordan kept him off the dream team. Like this is all stuff that built into that. And it, there's just, there's just so much about this series that makes it historically significant, even though it wasn't a finals, that would have to be my choice for this week. Better, better list than last week. Last week, there just didn't happen to be many good events for the, for the day we picked, which is why you cheated this week. But I thank you for cheating because it, it gave us a better list. So it did. I would still go Bulls-Pistons. You know I'm a Caps fan, and it'd be, it'd be tempting. I might actually go to the Caps game, but that's how good that Bulls-Pistons and intriguing yeah. that game is. I agree but, with you. But you, you could have told me any two teams. It could have been like a, I don't know, like a random Charlotte Hornets against uh, Indiana Pacers. I don't know if that's ever happened, but 
it could have been like that game seven first route. I probably still would have picked that just because there's game so seven. much more excitement about around a game seven. Fair enough. All right. So we'll end with trivia questions. Do you want to go first? Uh, as the leader after going up one, nothing last week, I'm actually going to defer and go second. So you ask you, uh, I'll ask you my question first and you will ask me your question second. So there's some digging for this. I like it. I hope you like it. In NFL history, 11 players. Oh, you don't get wait. You don't got to name them all. I'm oh, okay. I'm, I'm like, yo, we're gonna be here till Saturday. All right, no, keep going. Yeah. No, eleven players have played three hundred or more games. Of those eleven, only two were exclu- were not were exclusive to a, a skill position. The other nine were either kickers, punters, kickers, or or George Blanda, who played QB, but then got right. over the three hundred mark because the the rest of his career he was a kicker. Only two right. players are over the 300 mark that warrant special teamers. With one team, or it can span over multiple teams? It can span over multiple teams, the whole career. Only two players over 300 games in their career that warrant special teamers. Can you name the two players? Same thing like last week, 90 seconds or three strikes. We start it now. I mean, I got to go Brett Favre as one. That's one of them. This might have been too easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got to be another quarterback. I'm thinking Peyton or Eli. They got to be right up there. Brady's playing a lot. I mean, it's it's got to be one of – is it Eli? It's not Eli. You got a minute left and two strikes. Is it Brady? It's not Brady. Brady will get there this season if he plays full 16 games. He's at 285. Mm. Man. Um, up on the 32nd mark and one strike. Can't be a running back. I don't think it's a receiver. It could be an old lineman, but they wouldn't play into like their four. It's got to be another quarterback. Um, let's see. Don't think it's Peyton. Man, you're gonna tell me the answer. It's gonna, it's gonna <laughs> you got, bug me. You got 20 left. Um I just I can't can't think of anybody else. Um yeah, I'll I'll go Peyton, but I know it's not him. It's not Peyton, it's not Peyton. So yeah. I, it's it, I thought once you got far right away that you had the rest of the time to work with, you might have gotten it. Jerry Rice, 303 games. Buzz Rice. Yep. Okay. So I, I felt safe once you said that it can't be a receiver. That's when I felt safe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I know, you know, he went to play for the Seahawks and then the Raiders for a little bit, but I didn't think he'd play that long. That's, yep. that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's why he's so far away in the receiving lead because he – granted, he had his great peak, but he also did accumulate then after that. So, but, I mean, the rest are kickers. It's From the, the top down, it's Morton Anderson, Vinatieri, Gary Anderson, Jeff Eagles. It's all – it's all special Fun teamers, experience. obviously. Great question. So. All right, mine for you is more centered around Minka, okay? Okay. So in the 2018 draft, he was the number 11 pick, all right? To give you – to remind you, 2018 that year, that's the year Baker, Baker went one, okay? Yeah. I know. That's my Sam Darnold year. I got that's you. exactly right. <laughs> so in the top 10 that year, there was only one school that had two players in the top 10. You only have to give me the school. If you can give me the players as well, I mean, that's extra bonus points, but you just have to give me the school of who the two players were that went in the top 10. 
your uh, 90 all right, all right. seconds start now. Go ahead. All right. This is a good question. Um, so Baker went. I'm trying to think the quarterbacks for Baker. So Oklahoma, USC, and UCLA. I'm not counting Wyoming. I know nobody else from Wyoming with Josh Allen was in there. <laughs> so that narrows me down to six more. And all right, so USC. Darnold have anybody big time with him? Did Oklahoma have anybody big time, big time with Baker? Gosh, it's a good question. Uh, Bama's 50 always, seconds left. Bama's always And no mixed. strikes on the board. All right. Bama. Bama's not one of All right. All right. Um, this is a good question. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it went Baker. 30 Saquon. seconds. It, it wasn't Penn State. It was not Baker, Saquon. It was, Baker, Saquon, Darnold. Ah, I've got seconds. like half of the top ten gone. <laughs> Me but, too. Um, Clemson. Clemson is not one. No. God, I feel one like I'm straight. naming powerhouses. Yeah, at this point. ten seconds. Ah, Oklahoma. Somebody with Baker. Not Oklahoma. No. Right, good question. So, I like that. It wasn't skill position. It was Notre Dame. It was Quentin Nelson and oh. Mike McGlinchey. It's a good question. If you would have gotten Quentin, you you, you might have yeah. had it. But I knew once you started thinking quarterbacks and running backs, I so, should have gotten. I should have. I should have gotten Quentin too because, like after mentioning Sam, Do I was trying to think through the teams who picked in the top ten, and knowing I should have known that the Jets traded with the Colts, and once I would have gotten Nelson, I would have gotten McGlinchey. But it's good. We both we both come up empty this week. We so did. I still got my one nothing lead. You do, and another good great question. episode. Can't thank Minka Fitzpatrick enough. We've gotten so lucky having Tim Kirch in week one, Minka Fitzpatrick week two. We're looking forward to doing it again week three. Hopefully some more news in the world of sports will come out to digest. But until then, saying so long and see you next week.